0: Lux presents Hollywood. The Lux Radio Theater brings you Loretta Young and Brian Ahern in the Barrett's of Wimpole Street. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley.
1: Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight we introduce you to two fascinating people in one of the greatest love stories of all time. Robert Browning and the English poetess Elizabeth Barrett, whose turbulent courtship is the theme of our play tonight. Adapted from the Broadway stage success, The Barretts of Wimpole Street. Later made into an outstanding motion picture by Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. Our stars are Loretta Young and Brian Ahern, each making their 20th appearance on this stage. Brian in the role that he created so brilliantly in the stage play. At this third performance of our new fall season, I'd like to thank all of you for your many letters of good wishes and for the kind words said about this theater by our friends. One reviewer commenting on the fact that nine out of ten screen stars use Lux Toilet Soap suggested that the same ratio might well apply to radio fans who listen to this theater. Well, it's because so many of you do appreciate Lux Toilet Soap, not only here in Hollywood, but wherever women guard their loveliness, that we're able to bring you these Monday night productions with your favorite players. Here's the first act of The Barretts of Wimpole Street, starring Loretta Young as Elizabeth Barrett and Brian Ahern as Robert Browning, with Vanessa Brown as Henrietta and Lester Matthews as Mr. Barrett. London, a hundred years ago. It's an early evening in June, and at 50 Wimpole Street, in a gloomy book-lined room, Dr. Chambers concludes a procedure which he's followed now for some six years, his weekly examination of Miss Elizabeth Barrett.
2: You haven't found anything new, Dr. Chambers?
1: It's your increasingly low vitality, Miss Elizabeth. Perhaps, perhaps we're overdoing our literary efforts. Oh, a
2: few articles for the Athenaeum, nothing more.
1: Why not try something light and easy for a change? Poetry. You're not neglecting your poetry.
2: Poetry? Light and easy? Oh, I must tell that to Mr. Robert Browning when I meet him. Read his Odella, Dr. Chambers, and then tell me that poetry is light and easy.
1: Oh, well, if your mental exercises keep you contented. Oh,
2: I shudder to think what my life would be if I hadn't a turn for scribbling and study. Oh, if Papa were only a happier man. It makes such a difference to us all.
3: Happily. My dear, when a man's an unmitigated tyrant... Oh, well. Now, what about your appetite?
2: My appetite? Oh, that reminds me, Doctor. Do you remember Papa suggesting that kind of beer... called uh, a porter that might do me some good? Oh,
1: yes. Excellent suggestion, too.
2: Oh, forgive me. It was nothing of the kind. I have to drink it twice a day, and it's horrible. Surely, something one abominates so intensely can't possibly do one any good. And it's no use my appealing to Papa.
3: You poor little lady. I'll tell him, of course.
2: Oh, thank you, Doctor. Thank you. Come in.
4: Begging your pardon, Miss, but the master wishes most particularly to see Dr. Chambers before he leaves. Of
1: course. Well, good night, Miss Elizabeth. Good
2: night, Doctor. And you won't forget the porter.
5: I shall tell him right now. Oh,
2: thank you. I'm just going to post
4: your letters, Miss Barr. Shall I take Flush with me?
2: (laughs) Oh, yes, the
5: poor little dog
2: clinging to this prison of a room all day. Oh, my good companion.
6: Come, Flush. Come, doggie. Oh, Miss Henrietta.
2: Oh, uh, Henrietta? Oh, come in, dear. Well, how was dinner?
7: Oh, awful. Papa's in one of his moods. Oh, well, Dr. Chambers just went to see him. Oh, Bob, do hope for all our sakes so that his report of you isn't too good. Henrietta. Oh, oh forgive me, dear. What I mean is that Good news of any kind is certain to aggravate him in his present mood. I don't know why it should, but it does. But, Dr. Chambers, you're not worse. Not worse, and not better.
6: Henrietta! Bar's room, I'll oh, come in, dear. It's a note for Henrietta,
7: from Papa. Oh, dear, when he starts sending out notes from his study. Well, read it. Uh, your cousin Bella is now in London. She proposes to call on you tomorrow at 3 o'clock with Mr. Bev and her fiancé. You and Arabel will receive them, and if Elizabeth is well enough, you may bring them upstairs. I have invited Bella and her parents to dinner on Thursday. Papa. Well. Now I know why Papa was so displeased at dinner. Vile-tempered, you mean. You know Papa despises being ordinarily polite to anyone. Now he's simply bound to show some kind of hospitality to our relations.
2: Aren't you being unfair, dear? Papa seldom objects to our receiving friends here
7: for a cup of tea and a bun and so long as the house is clear of them before he's back from the city. What enrages me is that I was expecting a friend tomorrow at three. Now I shall have to put him off. Why?
4: Why what? Well, Bella and her fiancé won't eat your friend.
2: What what business is that of yours? Oh, Henrietta.
7: I hate people prying into my affairs.
2: Oh, dear. Usually she quite enjoys being quizzed about Captain Surtees' Cook.
4: Oh, Poor Henrietta.
2: Poor Henrietta? Why doesn't she realize that Papa will never, never permit a marriage in the family? Why, if he dreamed that she... too dreadful to even think of what would happen to Henrietta.
7: I'm sorry.
4: Oh, my dear, I only meant tea.
7: And instead you... you displease me. <laughs> oh, I'm Papa's daughter, all right. <laughs> when Belle and her
2: fiancé call tomorrow, bring them to me. You can entertain Captain Cook all alone in the room. Oh, what a thing it is to be a genius. <laughs> you darling, Bob. But I must have this room to myself at half past three. Mr. Browning is
7: calling. But I thought, Mr. Browning? Has Papa pa given his permission? Of course. I've heard he's wonderfully handsome. But didn't you say only last week you didn't intend to receive him? I didn't, and I... I don't want to now. But why? Because, my
2: dear, I'm as vain as a peacock. When people admire my work, there. Quite likely to picture the poetess as the equal of her verses. It's dreadfully humiliating
7: to disillusion them. Oh, by, you're very interesting and picturesque.
2: Isn't that the way guidebooks usually describe a ruin? Oh, bah! Well, Mr. Browning has been so insistent that out of sheer weariness I've given way. But I don't want an audience to witness the
7: tragedy of his disillusion.
5: May I come in? Oh, please do, Octavius. Well, doctor, satisfied. Oh, yes, I think so.
7: Here, Octavius, read this a note from papa oh, come in
2: how are you bar I hope the doctor's satisfied oh, yes i think
7: so i say septimus a note
5: from papa the hedley's are dining here thursday not
2: really is that you alfred and
5: how's our dear bar tonight i hope the doctor was happy oh yes i think so uh charles how are you feeling tonight bar <sighs> i hope dr chambers had a good report yes i think so
2: oh come in henry
3: how are you my dear is the doctor please oh yes i think so. oh i must say you are looking a little better oh. well and how is bar tonight? Afraid the doctor wasn't too pleased, was he?
2: Oh, yes,
5: I think so. Uh, Why not?
3: Well, you're not looking so well. Is she, Henry? Why, I I think she's looking considerably better.
5: I say, George, the Headleys are in town. They are? Bella and her swain are calling on the girls tomorrow. And on Thursday, they're dining here in state. Dining here?
0: I have some news, too. You may be interested to hear that Papa is going to Plymouth on business next week. Go on, George. Go on. And he's not expected back for at least two weeks. Oh, oh George, how glorious.
7: Oh, glorious. oh, do you poke, George? Oh, don't
0: be childish,
7: Look, everyone, watch me poke.
2: Papa. Good evening, Papa.
3: I am most displeased. I have repeatedly pointed out. But in her precarious condition not more than three of you are to be in elizabeth's room at the same time as usual my wishes have been disregarded <laughs> i'm not aware that i've said anything amusing henrietta
7: i beg your pardon papa
3: and may i ask what you were just doing
7: i was showing bar how to dance the poker
5: well ba, I... I think i'll say good night i should be
3: grateful sir if you'd allow me to finish speaking oh
2: papa i like nothing better than having all the family here together it no it couldn't possibly do me any harm
3: you are not the best judge of what is good or bad for you my dear which brings me to another matter dr chambers tells me that you persuaded him to discontinue drinking porter
2: i detest porter papa couldn't i take milk instead
3: i questioned him closely as to the comparative values of porter and milk He was forced to admit that Porter came first.
2: But when you dislike something to loathing, Papa, I don't see how I can do it. I must
3: warn you, Elizabeth, that if you discontinue drinking Porter, you will incur my grave displeasure.
2: But when Dr. Chambers insists, I
3: have no means of forcing you. A tankard will be left at your bedside. I only hope that tomorrow you will be able to tell me that you have obeyed your father. I'm sorry, Papa. Henrietta. But I shan't drink it. Will you fetch a tankard of Porter? No. I beg your pardon? No,
7: Papa, I hate it. You're just torturing her because you, you like torturing her.
3: Must I ask you a second time? Obey me
7: this instant. Go and fetch it, Henrietta, I can't stand it. No, I please,
2: please,
3: dear. You had all better say good night to your sister.
2: Good night, Bob. Good
3: night. Good night, Bob.
2: Good night.
3: Good night, Bob. Good night. Good night, Bob. Good night. Good
7: night, Bob. Good night. Good night, Bob. Good night. Good
3: night, Bob. Good night. Do you have the porter, Henrietta?
7: Yes, Papa.
3: Set it down. You may leave the room.
7: Good night, Father, Good
3: night. Elizabeth. Yes. Why do you look at me like that, child? And you're trembling. I, Why?
2: I, I don't know.
3: But you're not frightened of me. I... No, no, no. You, you mustn't say it. I can't bear to think that. Elizabeth, if you love me, you can't be afraid of me. For love casts out fear. You love me, my darling? You love your father? Yes. And you'll prove your love by doing as I wish. Oh, please, Papa. It's all so petty. Give me the tankard. You're acting of your own free will please, and Please, not...
2: Papa, let's get this over and forget it. We're making the whole house miserable over a tankard water.
3: Here it is, my dear. Thank you. You're not feeling worse tonight, my darling. Oh,
2: no, Papa.
3: Shall I... Shall I say a little prayer before I go? Please. I'll kneel by your bed. Almighty God, in thy inscrutable wisdom, thou hast seen good to lay upon thy daughter grievous and heavy afflictions. Give her to bear her sufferings in patience. Give her to fix her heart on thee and on that heavenly eternity which may at any moment open out to her. Purge her mind of all selfish thoughts and comfort her. this I beseech thee for the sake of thy dear son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Good night, my child.
6: Good night,
4: Papa. Are you ready for your bed, Miss Vaughan? Yes, Wilson.
2: Oh, will it never end? End, Miss? This long gray death and life. Oh, Miss Vaugh, you shouldn't say such things. No, no I suppose I shouldn't. Uh, did Flush enjoy his run?
4: Oh, yes,
6: did.
2: Oh, is it a nice night? Oh,
6: yes. And there's such a lovely moon.
2: A moon? Oh, draw the curtains, Wilson. Raise the blind.
4: Oh. There you are, miss. You can see it lovely.
2: Yes, yes. Leave me for a little, Wilson.
4: Yes, Miss Bob. Oh,
2: so beautiful.
5: Right idea, Bar. Bar oh. says that at least one male barret ought to show up for cousin Bella. And when Bar says something,
2: that thing is done. Archie, Captain cook is calling too. He's coming to see Henrietta. He is? Well, by oh. Jove! She must have her captain to herself, Archie.
5: Bar, doesn't it occur to you that we may be doing Henrietta an uncommonly bad turn, encouraging this romance? We'll chance that,
2: Archie. Last night, when you six boys wished me good night, a queer thought came into my mind. You weren't alive at all. Just automaton. Oh, but I say... The oh. Arabella just the same. You all seem to have cut out of life everything that makes life worth living. Excitement, frivolity, and, and love.
5: We haven't cut them out, Bob. That operation was performed by Gare Papa. I Death know, I know, but... Not counseling sedition, are you?
2: No, but not resignation. Keep your souls alive, like, like Henrietta...
5: I don't notice you making much struggle to rebel.
2: Oh, uh, but I don't count. You have your lives before you. My life is over. Rubbish. Right? I won't have you saying...
5: What's that? Do I hear a carriage? I do. Our cousin has arrived in Mr. Bevan. Ready, Bar?
6: Yes, I'm ready.
5: Bring them
2: up here any time you wish.
8: <laughs> <A> bell <belligerent. laughs> You haven't told
7: us. When is the wedding to be? Oh, early in August. Oh, that reminds me. Where, dear Henrietta? At, at the moment, she's downstairs
2: and... entertaining a friend. <gasps> a friend? Yes, Bella. Captain Serti's cook.
7: Oh, how willing! Oh, boy, I Do so want her to be one of my bridesmaids. Do you think she? Oh, Hemwietta, we were just talking about you, dear. Were you? Oh, you must be one of my bridesmaids. You simply must. I should love to, Bella, if Papa doesn't object. Object? Dear Uncle Edward.
5: Bella, dear,
1: perhaps Mr. Barrett looks on bridesmaids as uh, frivolous irrelevancy. No,
7: Mr. Bevan, it's not that. It's... Well, it's simply that Papa once owned slaves in Jamaica. And as slavery's been abolished there, he carries it on here instead. I'm quite serious we're all his slaves here henrietta we haven't a soul of our own not one of us yes bella it's more than likely he'll refuse to let me be your bridesmaid and for no rhyme or reason except that he's out of temper uh, i say what about tea oh i'm sorry i forgot to mention it tea is quite ready bella if captain cook had not swallowed it all captain cook has already left oh he has oh well are we've got to do with ba? It's been so lovely seeing you.
5: An honor, dear Miss Barrett. An honor. Goodbye, Bella. Mr. Bevin.
7: Coming, Henrietta. In a minute. Oh, Ba. Don't scold me. I'm so miserable. Miserable? And so wildly happy. Certes has asked me to marry him. Henrietta. Oh, Ba, what are we to do? Certes has only money enough to keep himself decently. If I only had your four hundred a year, I might defy Papa and marry Certes tomorrow. What
2: earthly good is that money to me?
7: I'd give it to you so gladly. I know you would, darling. But think what your life would be if Papa knew that you'd made it possible for me to marry. Oh, body, can it possibly be wrong to want a man's love desperately, and a home, and babies of my own?
2: Who am I to answer a question like that, darling? Love and children. Oh, they're so utterly remote from my life. Yes, I know,
7: dear. But love and children, they're natural to an ordinary girl like her. Yes. yes. We're back, miss. Oh. And Mr. Browning is here. I'd better be Mr. off. Mr. Browning.
2: Oh, no, no, no. Stay here, Henrietta. I i can't see him. I can't. Ah. I, I just don't feel up to it. Wilson, tell Mr. Browning that I, I'm i just not well enough to see him. Where is he, Wilson? The library, miss. I'll bring him up myself. Uh, Henrietta. Oh, Wilson, my hair. Is, is it tidy? Yes, ma'am. Oh, and, and please arrange the cover. Uh, no. Oh, never mind, Wilson. Thank you. That will be all.
6: Yes, ma'am.
2: I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. I shouldn't.
6: Mr. Robert Browning.
3: Miss Barrett.
2: How do you do, Mr. Browning?
3: Dear Miss Barrett. At last. At last. <laughs>
1: moment, we'll return with The Barretts of Wimpole Street, starring Loretta Young and Brian Ahern. Meanwhile, here's our Hollywood reporter, Libby Collins, with news about a very special star.
4: A very young star, Mr. <clears throat> Keeley. A teenager, in fact. She's not only lovely to look at, she's lovely to listen to as well.
1: Of course you mean Jane Powell, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's new singing star.
4: Yes. You've seen her in the new Technicolor musical, Holiday in Mexico. Mm-hmm. I was out at the studio one day, watching director George Sidney film a scene with Jane. It was the one where she dresses up to look like a sophisticated glamour girl to impress Jose Turby.
1: A <laughs> very amusing sequence.
4: Yes. Oh, Jane Powell's only 15, you know, and was so thrilled and impressed to be starred with such famous stars as Walter Pigeon, Xavier Cugat, and glamorous Ilona Massey.
1: She has every chance to display a really fine voice in such a musical extravaganza as Holiday in Mexico.
4: Oh, Jane takes her career quite seriously and spends hours at her music. She's already a fine actress, has learned so much from other stars, including a quick, easy way to care for her fresh, young complexion. Has to be right for camera close-ups, she told me.
0: Libby, if, if Jane takes her complexion cue from other famous stars, uh, it's sure to be Lux Toilet Soap.
4: <laughs> and it is, Mr. Kennedy, because that's the beauty soap nine out of ten screen stars recommend. Active lather facials agree with delicate skin. And they're so simple, too. Here's all you do. Smooth the creamy Lux Soap lather well in, rinse with warm water, splash on lots of cold. And pat skin dry with a soft towel. A real beauty facial, screen stars say.
0: Recent tests by skin specialists show how effective this gentle care can be. Actually, three out of four complexions improved in a short time with daily Lux Toilet Soap facials. Active lather facials really make skin lovelier. Why don't you try Hollywood's own beauty soap? Why not get some fine white Lux Toilet Soap tomorrow? We return you now to Mr. William Keeley.
1: Act two of The Barretts of Wimpole Street, starring Loretta Young as Elizabeth Barrett and Brian Ahern as Robert Browning. A few seconds have passed. In the presence of the ardent and dashing Robert Browning, Elizabeth Barrett is quite helplessly transfixed. But at length, she manages a polite suggestion.
2: Uh, won't you take off your cape, Mr. Brown?
3: Oh, thank you. Oh, this room, wonderful. You may think, Miss Barrett, that this is the first time I've been here. You're wrong, you know. But Quite uh... wrong. Your books, yes, yes, the way they're arranged. And, and that tendril of ivy slanted across your window. Oh, oh and the bust of Chaucer, yes. Yes. Yes, of course.
2: My friend, Mr. Kenyon, has told you.
3: And I dragged all the details I possibly could out of him, and my imagination supplied the rest. Oh,
2: you frighten me, Mr. Brown.
3: Oh, uh, why? And
2: because of what Mr. Kenyon might have told you about about myself. It would be hopeless for me to try to live up to his description.
3: He never told me anything about you personally that had the slightest interest for me. Oh? Uh, because I knew it already. And better than Mr. Kenyon, old friend of yours, though he is.
2: Do my poor writings give me so hopelessly away?
3: Hopelessly, utterly, entirely. Uh, To me, I I can't speak for the rest of the world.
2: You frighten me again, Mr. Barney. But you do. For I'm afraid it would be quite useless ever to try to play act with you.
3: Oh, quite useless.
2: And I shall always have to be just myself? Always. Oh... Uh, and you too, Mr. Browning.
3: Always just myself. <laughs> but being myself comes to me as easily as breathing, Miss Barrett. It's the play-acting I can't manage. Never could.
2: Oh, but that's extraordinary. In your writings, you never do anything but play-act. I know. And you had never been yourself in any one of your poems.
3: Shall I tell you why? I'm a very modest man. Oh, oh I am, really.
2: But I didn't question it.
3: So modest, I fully realize that if I wrote about myself, my, uh, My hopes and fears, hates and loves and all the rest of it. My poems would be intolerably dull.
2: Oh, but those poems with their glad and great-hearted acceptance of life. And those wonderful people of yours, all so tingling with life. Oh, no, no, you'll never begin to realize how much I owe to you.
3: you. You really mean that?
2: Why, Mr. Brown, oh, no,
3: no, but of course you do, or you wouldn't say it. And you'll believe me when I tell you that what you've just said makes up to me a thousand times over for all the cold shouldering I've had from the public.
2: Oh, it infuriates me. Sometimes I detest the British
3: public. Oh, oh dear old British public. At least it gives us generously the jolly pastime of abusing it. And mind you, Miss Barrett, I have an uneasy feeling that my style is largely to blame for my oh, unpopularity.
2: But surely not.
3: Oh, didn't we just agree never to play act?
2: <laughs> well, uh, perhaps there are some passages a little in invo- I mean, hmm? well, a little too profound for the general reader.
3: Oh no, that... no, no! It's not what I say, but but how I say it.
2: Oh, but sometimes there are passages. Hmm? I mean, here, for example.
3: No, oh, which volume is this? Oh, <laughs> Sordello. <bellowed>. Yes, yes. <laughs>
2: I, I've marked one or two parts which do rather puzzle me. Oh, here, Mr. Brown.
3: Ah, let me see. Behold the monarch of mankind succumbed to the first fool that was the right. So, well, of course that But if for the Well that's extraordinary. Extraordinary uh, Well Well, Miss Barrett, when that passage was written, only God and Robert Browning understood it, but now only God understands it. (laughs) What do you say? Shall we lighten this great darkness by pitching Sordello into the fire? Oh, we shall (laughs) do
2: nothing of the kind. I love Sordello.
3: And shall I tell you why? Because it's a colossal failure. Oh,
2: by failure you mean an attempt. Well, yes, you're right. I, too, am always making colossal attempts
3: and always fail Oh, but isn't one such failure worth a hundred small successes? Oh, a
2: thousand and more. You
3: think so, too? Of course. Miss oh, Barrett, you smiled when I told you that Kenyon had no need to describe you because I knew you already. But what you've just said about, about success and failure proves to me how right I was. All Kenyon did was to fill in the background. I, I had painted the portrait with the true soul of you. Ardent and lovely. Looking out of.
2: Ardent and lovely. And you think you know me. Oh, Mr. Browning, too often impatient and rebellious. Well,
3: what of it? I've no love for perfect patience under affliction. My portrait is the portrait of a woman, not of a saint.
2: Did Mr. Kenyon. I suppose he told you that I'm
4: a dying woman.
3: We are all of us dying.
2: And that our family life was one of unrelieved gloom.
3: Yes, he hinted at something of the sort.
2: Uh, frankly now, Mr. Browning, do you find me such a pitiable
3: object? I find you, as I expected to find you, full of courage and gaiety. And yet, in spite of what you say, I'm not at all sure that Kenyon's colors were too somber.
2: But that's entirely... Uh, no, no,
3: listen to me. Uh, those colors must be scraped off. Why, the whole background must be repainted in that splendid work i must have a hand mr brown no, no, I... you say my verses about you oh then nothing it's i i who am going to help you now we've come together at last and i don't intend to let you go again. but really no I... no listen to me give me your hands oh. there there now miss barrett i've more life in me than is good for one man it seethes and races in me up to now, I've spent a little of all that surplus energy in um, in creating imaginary men and women. But there's still so much that I've no use for but to give. Mayn't I give it to you? Oh, don't you feel new life? Tingling and prickling up your fingers and arms, right into your heart and please, brain...
2: Please, please, Mr. Brown. Let my hands go. Are really rather an overpowering person.
3: No, no, no! Don't tell me again that you're afraid of me. You're not. It's life you're afraid of, and that shouldn't be.
2: Life, yes. Well, when life becomes a series of electric shocks. Oh, I...
3: Was it as bad as all that? <laughs> my holding your hand.
2: Indeed, yes. Oh, no wonder I hesitated meeting you. You'll laugh at me, Mr. Browning, but we very nearly didn't meet today. After all, I was panic-stricken when my maid announced you.
3: Not as nervous as I, Miss Barrett. You? Yes, yes. And I'm anything but a nervous man. But um, but that moment was the climax of my life. Miss Barrett, do you remember the first letter that I wrote you?
2: It, it was a wonderful letter.
3: Well, you may have thought that I, I dashed it off in a fit of white-hot enthusiasm over your poems. I didn't. I weighed every word of every sentence. And that one sentence in particular... I love your verses with all my heart. And I love you, too.
2: It was charmingly impulsive, of Oh, but it? I
3: tell you, there was nothing impulsive about it. That sentence was as deeply felt and as anxiously thought over as any sentence I have ever written. And it's quite useless. You're trying to put aside the word with a smile and a jest. I, I said love. I mean love.
2: Oh, really, Mr. Browning, I must I'm neither mad nor to...
3: morbidly impressionable. I'm as sane and level-headed as any man alive. Yet all these months... Since first I read your poems, I've been haunted by you. And today, you are the center of my life.
2: If I were to take you seriously, Mr. Browning, it would, of course, mean the quick finish of a friendship which promises to be very pleasant. Why? Well, you know very well that love, in the sense that you use the word, can have no place in my life. Why? Why, for many reasons. Uh, as I told you before, I... I'm
3: a dying woman. I refuse to believe it. For if that were so, God would be callous. And I know that he's compassionate. Life would be, it would be dark and evil. And I know that it's good. You must never say such a thing again. I forbid you to. Forbid, Mr. Bleden. Yes, forbid. Well, since you forbid me to speak of you as I feel, should I not be allowed a little forbidding as well? Yes? <laughs> My I... dear Miss Barrett, what a splendid beginning to our friendship. <laughs> Why, we've known each other a bare ten minutes, and yet we've talked intimately of art and life and death and love. We've ordered each other about and we've almost quarreled. <laughs> Could anything be happier or more promising? Well, with your permission, I'm going now. Mr. Kenyon impressed upon me that strangers tire you. Uh, not, not that I am a stranger. Still, I, I can see that you are tired. Um, when may I call again?
2: I, I don't quite know. Well,
3: next Wednesday suit you. Well, perhaps it would be better next if it... Wednesday then.
2: Really, At I... uh, half past three again? Uh, yes. But... Au revoir then. Uh, goodbye.
3: Au revoir. Au revoir. Thank you.
2: the window. But how did you... you walk to the window here? He's... he's turning the corner now. How fast he walks. Oh, now he's gone.
3: doctors have just left me. Yes, Papa. It's most astonishing, this phenomenal improvement these last three months. Yes. But who is this fool, Dr. Waterloo? Oh,
2: Dr. Chambers says he's one of the cleverest physicians in London. Papa, did, did Dr. Waterloo speak to you about next winter? He did. And that I shall be fit to travel to Italy in October if Italy! You...
3: So, it's out at last. And how long has this precious plot been hatching?
2: Since June, Papa.
3: And your brothers and sisters know of this delightful project? Well, Yes, I have mentioned it to them. And that Charlotte and Browning. Oh, Papa,
2: what does it matter?
3: matter? I... It's nothing that I alone should be shut out of your confidence, ignored, deserted, Elizabeth. If returning health means such a sad change in your character, I shall be driven to wish that you again lie helpless on that sofa. No. There's nothing more to be said. But
2: there is more to be said. At first, the thought of Italy seemed too wonderfully impossible. But now I know that nothing really stands in my way of going, that I have every right to go. Right? Yes. Oh. oh, if only I could get your consent. I said nothing, only that I might have a perfectly arranged plan to place before you after the doctors had agreed. If I have acted tactlessly, Papa. Self, I...
3: self, self. Didn't it even once occur to you that your father would be left here alone? Alone. Utterly alone. Your brothers and sisters might as well be shadows for all the companionship they afford me. And you too, as your strength returns, draw more and more away from me. No,
2: that's not true. I,
3: who used to be your whole world, I, who love you.
2: Papa. Who is it? If you please, Mr. Browning has called.
3: (laughs) Mr. Browning appears to consider this his second home.
2: I I haven't seen him since last Wednesday. Indeed.
3: Wilson, you may tell Mr. Browning to come up. Elizabeth, tell me quickly, Dr. Waterlow, what did he say?
2: Well, Dr. Waterlow was quite taken out of his gloomy self. With astonished delight at my improvement.
3: Oh, say that again.
0: The whole sense.
3: I should like to see it in letters of fire. Oh, right. Elizabeth, this is the best moment I've had since I got your note giving me permission to call. <laughs> and how many years ago was that? Three months. Three months? <laughs> Absurd. Why, I've known you a lifetime and over. Uh, but the doctors. Uh, and Italy. What about Italy. Are they agreed about your wintering there?
2: I can go in October unless there's a relapse.
3: Relapse? There's no such word. October. October. Why, extraordinary. For you know, October suits my own plans to perfection.
2: Your plans, Robert?
3: Well, of course. I shall go, too. Uh, may I call on you often in Italy? Oh. Where do you intend to stay? Hmm? Oh. What, what, are you, what are you laughing
2: at? Oh, because I shall be at 50 Wimpole Street next winter. Your father? Yes.
3: But in heaven's name... Oh, it's so
2: hard to explain, Robert. Papa is very devoted to me. Devoted?
3: And... Elizabeth, may I speak plainly? Oh, but
2: you don't understand this situation, Robert. How could you?
3: Oh, very well. Very well, I'll say nothing. You'll tell me I don't understand. Well, you're quite right, I don't. I don't understand a devotion that demands all, takes all, and gives nothing in return... I don't understand a devotion that grudges you in every ray of light and glimpse of happiness, and that doesn't even stop at risking your life to gratify its colossal selfishness. Oh. Devotion. Ha, uh, give me good, sound, honest hatred rather than devotion like that.: Oh,
2: Robert, I must: have Forgive me, but I, I
3: won't be silent any longer. Even before I met you, I knew that sickness wasn't the only shadow in your life, and all these months, I, I've stood by and said nothing. I, I might find you tired and, and sick. After hateful scenes I could picture only too vividly, I must pretend to know nothing, see nothing, and feel nothing. Well, I'm done with pretense. It's not just your happiness which are at stake now. It's your very life. And I forbid you to play with your life, and I have the right to forbid you.
2: No, 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 please. are right,
3: you won't deny it. You're too utterly candid and true. Why, even before I passed that door, and our eyes first met across this room, I loved you, and I shall go on loving you to the end and beyond. Oh, You know that. You've always known.
2: Yes, yes, I've always known. And now, for pity's sake... For pity's sake, leave no, Linda,
3: me. No, no, I shall never go. I shall never leave
2: you. Oh, Robert, have mercy on me. I love you, Robert. I love you, I love you.
3: And yet you ask me to take my marching orders... and to go out of your life.
2: Oh, I I should have refused to see you after our first meeting. But I loved you then, though I would have denied it even to myself. Robert, I was hopeless for the happiness I never dreamed was possible to feel. That's my only excuse. And God knows I need one for not having sent you away from me at once. I love you. Do you know what you've done for me, Robert? I could have laughed when Dr. Chambers said I'd healed myself by wanting to live. Yes, I wanted to live but only because life meant you. Because of you, the air was once more sweet to breathe. And the world was good and green again.
3: And now I'm to turn my back on you and go.
2: But what have we to look for? I to? love
3: you and I want you for my wife.
2: I can't marry you. How can not I? Not
3: today or tomorrow. Not this year, perhaps. I may Always.
2: never be able to marry you, Robert.
3: Then I shall die proud and happy in having spent a lifetime fighting for the richest prize a man was ever offered.
2: No. No. Robert, put aside your dream of me. Look at me as I am. a pale ghost of a woman.
3: Do you think I'm not, boy, to be swept off my feet by an impulse? Or a sentimental dreamer blind to realities? There's no man alive who sees things with clearer eyes than I do. And I tell you in all soberness that my need of you is as urgent as your need of me. If your weakness asks my strength for support, my abundant strength cries out for your weakness oh, to complete my life and myself.
8: Robert,
2: have you thought what your position here would be like if you went on seeing me out
3: today? <sighs> Yes.
2: And if, if even a whisper should get to my father.
8: I here. know, I know.
2: But if we were to say goodbye today, we should have nothing but beautiful memories of each other. No disillusionment, no bitterness, no remorse.
3: Is it you who are speaking?
4: What do you mean?
3: I don't know you. We're to dream away the rest of our lives in tepid sadness rather than risk utter disaster for utter happiness. No, oh, I don't know you. I never thought you were a coward. A
2: coward? I, oh yes, yes, I'm a coward, Robert. But it's not for myself that I'm afraid. Oh, I know What's that, another my my disaster darling? to me, Robert? But you, you're a fighter. You were born for victory and triumph. If disaster should come to you through me,
3: yes, he's a fighter. But I'm sick of fighting alone. Oh. I need a comrade at arms to fight beside me.
2: But not one already wounded in battle.
3: Wounded. Undefeated, undaunted, unbroken. What finer comrade could a man ask for? Robert. No.
8: But Robert, No,
3: please. Elizabeth, I'll never leave you. Never.
0: We pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: In a moment, we'll return with the third act of The Battles of Wimpole Street, starring Loretta Young and Brian Ahern. Miss Rennie Randall, our guest tonight, is a dark-haired young beauty you may have seen in several of Paramount's recent screen hits. The last time I saw her, she was sitting on Bob
6: Hope's lap.
1: Weren't you, Rennie?
6: I won't deny it, Mr. Keeley. That was the banquet scene in Paramount's new comedy, Monsieur Beaucaire. It certainly was exciting to be in the same picture with Bob Hope, Joan Caulfield, and Margie Reynolds.
1: I'm told a vacation trip to Hollywood, Renee, turned into an unexpected studio contract for you.
6: Yes, I just finished my first year at the University of Oregon. I came to Hollywood to see what I could learn about the chances of eventually getting into pictures.
1: And someone said, uh, eventually? Why not now?
6: <laughs> That's how it turned out. I heard they needed girls for the chorus of a local review and got a job, intending to use the money I earned for my next year at school. But a talent scout saw me and signed me for a part in a Paramount picture. That led to my present contract. So I guess I'm in Hollywood to stay.
1: I understand you are singled out as one of the small group of Paramount players to show the most improvement
0: and promise.
6: Perhaps that's because I've been working really hard, Mr. Keeley. When I'm not in a picture, I take dancing, voice, and diction lessons every day.
0: Judging from the way you look, Miss Randall, you don't need to take lessons in beauty. Such dark eyes and hair and such a fair skin make a rather striking combination.
6: Thanks, Mr. Kennedy. I learned my lesson in beauty a long time ago from some famous Hollywood stars. I decided their complexion care ought to work for me, too, and it does. Lux toilet soap facials are just right for my skin. Joan Caulfield, the feminine lead, in Monsieur Beaucaire, is a luxe girl, too, you know.
0: Thank you for telling us that, Miss Randall, though we're not surprised to hear it. Nine out of ten leading Hollywood stars, hundreds of ambitious young starlets depend on gentle Lux Toilet Soap care for daily complexion care. They say active lather facials give skin fresh new beauty so quickly. You'll find Lux Toilet Soap's creamy, fragrant lather makes a delightful beauty bath, too. It's luxurious, but it's thrifty. Each satin smooth cake can be used to the last thin sliver. Here's Mr. Keeley at the microphone.
1: Act 3 of The Barretts of Wimpole Street, starring Loretta Young as Elizabeth Barrett and Brian Ahern as Robert Browning. For two weeks now, a strange happiness has pervaded the Barrett household, easily explained by the fact that the master of 50 Wimpole Street has been away on business. In his absence, two gentlemen have been almost daily callers. Henrietta's Captain Cook
3: and Mr. Robert Browning. You look tired, sweetheart. You're not being too ambitious.
2: No, no, I feel wonderfully well, Robert.
3: Those eyes of yours give you hopelessly away, my darling. What is it? Has your father returned?
2: A few moments ago, a letter arrived from him, Robert. We're moving to the country. We're leaving London. Well, Well, you think that will make no difference to us? I
3: think that I know your father perhaps even better than you. He's grown jealous of your life here, of your pleasures and your friends. Slowly and surely, you're to be parted from them.
2: He made it impossible for me to go to Italy. And now he'll make it impossible for me to see you
3: at all. This precious letter may mean all that. But it means a great deal more. It means that you will be in Italy before the month is out. Italy? Yes, and with me. Robert. It means we must be married at once.
2: Do you know what you're saying? I know
3: what I'm saying, and I repeat it. We must be married at once, my darling. Listen to me.
2: No, please don't touch me. I can never marry you, You can
3: and you shall. You'll marry me if I have to carry you out of this house and up to the altar. Do you seriously imagine that I'm going to be elbowed out of your life just to satisfy the selfish jealousy of a, a man whom I no longer believe to be sane? Robert,
2: it's not only Papa who stands between us. It's I. Oh, Robert, however much stronger I may become... I shall always remain an invalid. You tell me that you want me sick or well. He'll listen, please, please, you will listen to me. As your wife, I should be haunted day and night by thoughts of all the glorious things you would have enjoyed, but for me, by the ghosts of your unborn children. Oh, no, no, oh I thank God Papa's letter arrived while we were still free and had the strength to shake hands and say
3: well, on the whole, I think this will be our best plan of campaign. Oh, please, please. We'll meet at Meriban Church on Saturday and be married quietly oh. sometime in the morning. I'll see about our license at once. Oh, please, Robert. Directly afterwards, it you'd better return here. Of course, we could start the journey at once, but I think it would be better, my darling, if you had a week to prepare. Oh. Now, uh, the boat train leaves on Saturdays at 9 o'clock. Oh, oh,
8: yeah. oh. oh Robert. And I always believe it. But Pa
2: the most overbearing man in the world.
3: <laughs> and yet you've known me for some time now.
2: Suppose that I were... I were to die in your hands.
3: Are you afraid, Pa?
8: Afraid? I'd sooner
2: die with you beside me than live a hundred lives without you. But how would you feel if I were to die like that? And what would the world say of you?
3: Oh. I should be branded as little better than a murderer. Oh. And what I should feel, I I leave you to imagine.
2: And yet, you ask me to come away with
3: you. Yes, yes. I'm prepared to risk your life, and oh, much more than mine, to get you out of this dreadful house into the sunshine and to have you for my wife.
2: You'll love me like that?
3: I love you like
2: that. Oh, Robert. Robert, give me a few hours. Before I sleep tonight, I'll write and tell you of my decision, please. Please, Ralph.
3: You promised me that. I promise. Very
8: well.
7: I saw him leaving Bar, Mr. Browning. May I bring him in now? Bar, you're not listening. Oh, yes. It's 30. She's in his full regimental. Oh, of course, darling. Bring him in. You may come in, 30. Captain Surtey's cook, Barr. My sister, Elizabeth.
3: Your servant, Miss Barrett. Greatly honored man. Upon my word, I am.
7: Oh, Sirtees, tell her. Tell
3: her. Oh, well, uh, I say, Miss Barrett, uh... Yes?
7: About dear Henrietta. You know, Miss Barrett, I, uh... Yes,
2: Captain, yes, I know. And how I wish I could do something for you both.
7: I can't get it into his poor head, Bar. That such things as asking for my hand are simply not possible... Fifty wimples.
3: But if I spoke to Mr. Barrett.
7: Captain Cook,
2: if you were directly descended from the Emperor of the Moon and came here with a fortune of Creeses in one hand... You... Papa?
7: You're back sooner than I expected, Papa.
3: I don't think that I've had the privilege of this gentleman's acquaintance.
7: Captain Cook, my father. Papa? Captain Surtees Cook.
3: Your servant, sir?
7: Captain Cook is a...
3: A great friend of Archie Indeed, sir. My sons are rarely home this time of the day. Time, time. Yes, by Jove, high time I were moving. Well, goodbye, Miss Barrett. Goodbye, Captain
7: Cook. I'll see you out, sir.
3: You will remain here.
7: Well, uh, uh, good
5: day, Miss Henrietta.
3: You received my letter, Elizabeth. Yes, Papa. What has just happened fully confirms the wisdom of my decision. Fortunately, our new home is so far from town that callers are not likely to trouble us.
7: Our new home?
3: You have not told your sisters? No,
2: not yet. Your, your letter just arrived.
3: I have taken a house in Surrey. We shall move on the 22nd. Why? I am not in the habit of accounting for my actions to my children. But
7: I have a right to ask you, Papa. If Captain Cook is to be forbidden. Captain Cook?
3: Come here. Yes, Papa. What is this fellow to you?
7: I've told you. He's a friend of George and Aki.
3: Answer me. What is this man to you?
7: Papa, please. Please, you're hurting me. Oh, will
3: you answer me?
5: He, he, oh, Papa, I love him. Let yeah. her go, Papa.
2: Let her go at once. I
3: won't have it. you, you knew of this. Yes, for some
2: time.
3: You dare to tell me.
7: Oh, Papa, please. I'm not a bad girl. I swear to you I'm not.
3: Now, listen to me. Unless I have your solemn word that you will neither see nor communicate with this man again, you will leave my house at once and go to perdition any way you please. You have your choice. Take it.
7: Is it nothing to you that I... that I shall hate you for this to the end of my life?
3: Less than nothing. you give me your word.
7: I have no choice.
3: You will go to your room and remain there until you have my permission to leave. Elizabeth, have you anything to say to me? No. Then I shall not see you again until you repent of your wickedness and ask for God's forgiveness and mine. Yes.
2: Wilson. Yes, Miss? Wilson, are you my friend?
6: There's nothing I wouldn't do, Miss Barr. You know that. I,
2: I'm i going to be married, Wilson, on Saturday. Married? No. And directly afterwards, I shall return here for a few days. The following Saturday, Mr. Browning and I are sailing to Italy. Will you come with us? Italy? Oh, miss, I'd be that proud to. Thank you. I'm writing to Mr. Browning now. I shall want you to take the letter to him at once. Just think, miss, a bride of one whole week, and in just 90 minutes we'll be out of this house, bound for a life among the Italians.
8: Wilson...
2: Wilson, about the carriage, uh, are you sure it would be there? Oh, yes, miss. Half past three at the yes. corner. Have you finished your goodbyes, miss? Yes. Uh, I've written to them all. Oh, miss. Bob, what I give to be here tonight when the master finds out. Oh, this waiting is killing me. Why don't
6: you just sit down and write some poetry, miss?
2: Poetry? Yes, miss. That would make the time pass oh. nicely, I'm sure. Oh, well.
7: Oh, Bob. Ba- Bob, I must speak to you. Rita, I... I, th- I thought you had gone out. Wilson, may I speak to my sister alone? Yes. Papa ah, is leaving London. Thirteen. He wants to see me. Papa made me swear never to see him or write to him. But I've broken my oath. Oh, my poor Henry. And I glory in breaking it. I shall go out of my way to lie to Papa as often as grossly as necessary. Why do you tell me that? Because I want you to say that I'm wicked and deceitful so that I can fling the word back in your face. Oh, my darling, forgive me. I'm all love and hate. I don't know
2: which is the worst torture. And you don't think I can understand. Oh, but I do, I do with all my heart. Oh, it's all it's all. The master miss, he's just come in. Papa. He must know. Someone must have told, told him. Told him. Told him what? Well, nothing. It's it's only that Papa hasn't seen me for days now, and well, uh, scenes of forgiveness are always trying. Ah, you're as white as a sheet. Oh, no. And you will know not you understand. Nothing. Nothing.
3: Where have you been, Henrietta? Nowhere. Where are you going?
7: To tea with Aunt Hedley. Is that the truth? Yes.
3: You remember your oath? Yes. Leave us alone. You too, Wilson. I wish to speak to your mistress. Do you know why I'm back so early today? No,
7: Papa.
3: Because it's ten days since I last saw you. And I could bear it no longer.
2: Am I to blame for that, Papa?
3: Do you know that night after night I had to call up all my willpower to hold me from coming here to your room to forgive you? Today I could bear it no longer. Oh, my, my darling, your love is all I have left in the world. You
2: might have had the love of all of your children. Papa, you don't know how I
8: pity you.
3: Pity? I don't want pity. Elizabeth, my child, my darling. The only happiness I shall never know is yours to give or take. You must depend on me. Lean on me. I want all your heart. Oh,
2: please, Papa, I can't stand it. I can't stand any anymore.
3: Forgive me, my dear. I, I was carried away. I'll leave you now. Please. I shall pray for you.
2: Yes, pray for me, Papa.
7: Pray for me. Oh, miss, the door's
2: closed. We must go now, at once. But the cab won't be there yet. Then we must walk about the street. Oh, but if he sees us leaving. We'll chance that. I belong to my husband now. Papa can kill me. But he can't stop me. Oh, I daren't, Miss. I daren't. Then I must go alone, Wolf. Alone? I'll fetch my things at once. Oh, oh the doggy, Miss. Flush, Flush, where is he? Here he is. Yes.
8: Oh. Shh, shh. shh.
2: You bark now, Flush. We're lost. Let me look. it's still
7: closed, miss.
2: And we're ready to leave, Wilson.
8: Annabelle!
7: <laughs> <laughs> Stop, Stop it. Stop it at once. She's gone. <laughs> she left a note. <laughs> Annabelle! Annabelle, where's Bob? Answer me at once. Oh, those letters on her table. She's written to us all. She's gone. This letter? why, she's been married since
8: last Saturday. Where's Papa? must give him his letter. Give it to me.
3: I should love to.
8: He's
5: dressing for dinner. He's...
3: Who was making that hideous noise just now? Where is Elizabeth? Hush, dear.
7: Hush, hush. Here, Papa. This letter. Papa left it for
3: you. What do you mean?
7: She left letters for us all. This is yours. You must forgive her, Papa. Not for her sake, for yours. I thought I hated you, but I don't. I pity you.
8: Married.
3: Married. Yes. Yes, I- dog. Yes, I'll have her dog. Octavius! Sir? Her dog must be destroyed at once. But, Papa, you... will take it to the veterinarian tonight. You understand me?
5: Tonight! I I really don't (sighs) see what the poor little beast has done. You
3: understand me?
7: In her letter to me, Papa? Yes? Far right, she's taken flush with her.
1: combined total of 40 evenings, Loretta Young and Brian Ahern have entertained us in this theater, always with the same high standard of performance.
2: Oh, thank you, Bill. I've looked forward for a long time to doing The Barretts of Wimpole Street with
3: Brian. Well, it's been a great pleasure, Loretta.
1: And we've looked forward for a long time to bringing you two together in this play. And I'm sure our audience is grateful to Brian for coming all the way from his Coachella Valley ranch to
3: be with us tonight.
2: <laughs> What's your latest project at the ranch, Brian?
3: Well, right now I'm working on an airstrip, so I'll be able to fly my own plane between India and Hollywood. You aren't hampered by a shortage of materials? Oh, well, for the airstrip, we'll just flatten out a bit of desert. And when it comes to building materials, the Mexicans in that part of the country have shown me how to make adobe bricks.
2: Oh, and you plan to do your own construction with your own
3: bricks? Oh, yes. I've already done a bit of building. All I need now is earthquake insurance.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Brian, you're the only star I know who solved the housing shortage with his own hands. Loretta, I gather that your switch from a brunette to a blonde, which I'm sure has surprised our studio audience, is for your next Doré Sherry picture for RKO.
2: Yes, that's right, Bill. It's Katie for Congress. I'm a Minnesota farm girl with a Swedish accent.
1: <laughs> well, Loretta, blonde or brunette, I've always admired your vivacity, your beauty, and that lovely complexion.
2: Oh, well, thank you, Bill. I uh, just want to say that Lux Toilet Soap is a wonderful complexion care. I've depended on it for, well, almost as long as I can remember.
1: And we'd recommend a close-up of you as the highest possible compliment for Lux Soap.
3: Thank you. Well, what's on the Lux agenda for next Monday night, Bill?
1: Next Monday night will be another exciting evening in this theater, when we bring our audience one of the most distinguished screenplays to come out of Hollywood, with its original outstanding cast. The play, Metro Golden Mare's Madame Curie. Our stars, Greer Garson and Walter Pidgeon. Two of the most popular players in screenland, Greer Garson and Walter Pidgeon have two of their finest roles in this absorbing tale of a love that endured through heartbreaking obstacles and gave the world the great discovery of radium.
2: Well, that play should pack the house, Bill.
1: Yes,
3: we'll be listening. Good night. Good night, night, and thanks for the grand performance, both of you.
1: Before we say goodnight, I'd like to leave with you one vitally important message. Never in history has mankind faced so grave a problem as atomic energy and its control. We who first invented the atomic bomb must be the first to realize that no nation and no individual, ourselves included, will be safe until atomic energy is forever outlawed as an instrument of war. Our sponsors, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents Rear Garson and Walter Pigeon in Madame Curie. This is William Keeley, saying goodnight to you from Hollywood.
0: Brian Ahern will next be seen in the RKO production, The Locker. Vanessa Brown will soon be seen in the 20th Century Fox Technicolor production, Margie. Also in our cast were Lester Matthews as Mr. Barrett, Janet Scott as Wilson, Francis Robinson as Arabelle, and Truda Marson as Bella. Our music was directed by Louis Silvers, and this is your announcer, John Milton Kennedy, reminding you to tune in again next Monday night to hear Madame Curie with Greer Garson and Walter Pidgeon. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.